Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I'm Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And today we are so, so, so excited to be joined by Kristen Nobles of the new podcast, Close to the Chest. Hi, Kristen. Hi, both of you. This is incredible. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for being here. I'm not gonna lie. I'm sitting here staring at your background. I'm like, is that Tupac? It is, and I'm I'm an artist, so. Oh, this is this your work? <laughs> it's amazing. I love that. So sorry, I had a moment. I'm sitting here talking, and I'm like, wait. Yeah, see, I looked at the art beforehand, and there's some Carrie Fisher art, and oh. I am a huge. Carrie Fisher fan. (laughs) (laughs) So this was very exciting for me. Yeah. Well, we will be sending it to you because we're doing actually the Shiro collection. And I have a dog named Leia after Princess Leia. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh, you are speaking her language. She's never going to forget this moment. If you were to get, oh my goodness. I, All the bragging. I'm like literally <laughs> waving my hands at my cheeks right now. I'm so excited <laughs> at this prospect. Um, so yes, yeah, so we're very excited to have you. Thank you for joining us from California uh, to rainy Atlanta in our home podcast studios. So Kristen, could you tell the listeners a little about yourself and the show? Well, the short version is I was sick for over 20 plus years. I had debilitating illnesses from, you know, inability to digest food to epilepsy and all sorts of strange symptoms that I found out came from a reaction my body was having to breast implants. So my heart stopped twice. I was losing organs, limbs. It was pretty unbelievable. And that's kind of how the art came into play because it was a way to deal with my pain and just something you can do at home without freaking other people out. And <laughs> about three years ago, a doctor came in and said to me in ICU, I was suffering from a terrible brain infection. And she said she believed I was having an immune response to implants. This was something they were just really starting to understand more about, but was not even like a formal medical disease yet. So we ended up doing a surgery. I unfortunately chose to do something called a swap out. And I found out later that was the wrong choice. And I went from horribly sick to almost dead. And I went to a good friend of mine, Christine Torres, who we have a lot like you guys, and just really went to her as a former prosecutor and said, how did this happen? What can we do? And she had turned filmmaker. And long story short, we decided to create Close to the Chest because they were starting to recognize BII, but I didn't want women to take that left turn into the wrong treatment and protocol like I had. And I really wanted to create kind of a resource guide when it started for women to be able to, no matter where you were at, if you just found out or if you were post-explant, to get real facts because there was a lot of, you know, quote, fake news out there on the issue. And as we learned more, I started to meet hundreds, if not thousands of women that were not only going through this, but there was not real coverage financially for it. So then I got pissed off and passionate about using it as a platform to build some sort of a program to help women. So... We started the podcast, we're halfway through the season, and she has been incredible to be part of this and help me really research and understand it and attack the problem, not the people. And I'm proud to report we're meeting incredible advocates, doctors, you know, survivors, thrivers. And recently, last week, the FDA created a warning that will be issued to women. So hopefully it's working. Oh, wow. So it was, you you meant just last week there now. 
just yep. approved to put that warning. That's, oh my God, that's infuriating. <laughs> and you said BII, so that stands for uh, breast implant illness, correct? Yes, like we talked about at the beginning with names. When I first put I am BII on LinkedIn and everywhere, I got all sorts of pride stuff because they thought I came out as gay. And I was like, <laughs> no, I'm not that exciting. I wish. <laughs> oh, that would have been better news. <laughs> so how long did it take you to get an actual diagnosis? Now, you said that, that when they were talking to you about it, it was fairly new. So how long in this process did it actually take for you to get this diagnosis? 21 years. Wow. Oof. Up until then, you were just going through testing after testing, trying to figure out. So they were pretty much just figuring out symptoms rather than the actual problem. Yeah, and it was creating permanent disease, you know, affects in the body. So it became very much my, I would walk into the offices and they'd see my diagnostic and then they'd look at me and they'd be like, you're walking or you're this because you end up with so many issues or misdiagnoses. So when they finally came to me and said, this is the problem, at that time, they also really were just starting to understand what to do because there was this dogma that breast implants are completely safe. These plastic surgeons were being taught that there's no way this was really happening to me. So when endocrinology and oncology was saying this and rheumatology and all my other allergy dudes and ladies, plastic surgery was saying, uh-uh. And so that was the real battle was to find, it took me a long time to find the right doctor to offer me the right treatment. And it ended up being a hand surgeon. <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Also, you said swap out. Can you explain what that is too? I am very much a novice in this whole world. And so I'm like, I, I need to know what this is. So what exactly is a swap out? So about 10 years ago, Allergan identified that certain breast implants could cause cancer. So the FDA did a voluntary recall with them, I believe is what they called it. So they issued an offer where they would give you new implants and $7,500 towards your surgery that costs much more than that. Right. And they called it a swap out. But with that, you would waive any future rights. So I did not ah. take Allergan's money to do the swap out. But I did talk to a doctor who was like, no, no, it was just those. These are new and improved. And that was a really terrible mistake. Because if I had not done that, I'd probably still have both my hips. You know, I wouldn't have some of the permanent damage that happened from that point forward. My gosh. That sounds like a beginning of a... Lawsuit movies, one of those. I'm sorry. Well, you have been called the Aaron Brockovich of boobs, right? You have a documentary coming out about this, don't you? It really is. What was fascinating <laughs> is I was in the film business. Less, you know, I was lucky to have really amazing people around me who actually, I didn't want to make, we're an impact production company. And I joke that, you know, I, I didn't want to be out there talking about my breasts. And I started to share this and people were shocked. And then with Christine Torres, the co-host of the show, we were really looking at this from a, you know, documentary industry issue, you know, freakonomic standpoint of how did this perfect storm happen? And then I met through the podcast, this woman, Sybil Goldrich. And I watched Two Small Voices, which was done 20 years ago, because she won the Dow implant case. And when I met Sybil, I felt a responsibility to carry the torch and to honor her sacrifice and what they accomplished in, in meeting the attorney on the class action suit that we filed. Like the most important thing for us, not to go on and on, was to give people this full disclosure as to the risks and to get plastic surgeons to really understand. And if a documentary, a podcast, meeting other women, you know, however they get the quote proof they need, that's where we started to become passionate. So I joke, I'll talk about my boobs in any format. 
(laughs) 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 Yes. And um, you're so open on your site and in the material you create, which is, it's really, really moving. And we're going to get into some of those things that you tackled in a minute. But um, just to step back, I feel like it's, Maybe not obvious is the right word, but we've been pretty clear what it is. But could you talk about what breast implant illness is exactly? Absolutely. So, you know, the way I explain it in non-medical legal terms is that, you know, your body is having an autoimmune response to these implants, which can convert eventually into cancer. So a lot of people hear about BIALCL, which they think is the worst part. But what's really important is breast implant illness is identified as a group of symptoms, which I posted the other day. And I was like, what if you had these hundred symptoms? What would you do? Like that's, and unfortunately for a long time, they were able to say, you know, it's because you're older. Oh, it's because you're, you know, you have this underlying condition. But what started to become predominant in the communication of other women on Facebook and Instagram and other platforms was Yes, there was this group of symptoms, but there was also this commonality of implants. And then what they're starting to realize now, it's not, you know, silicone is in every implant. So the other big misunderstanding was, oh, my implants are saline. This can't be what's causing it. And doctors thought saline were safe. And it's really important to understand that all implants are encased in silicone and a lot of other toxic chemicals. And then what's inside it varies, but they're seeing evidence of BII in both silicone gel-filled and saline-filled implants, texturized or non-texturized, which that's a whole other gross conversation. And what's happening is women are getting everything from fatigue, weight gain, their hair falling out, losing their vision, headaches, migraines, seizures, diarrhea, bloating. Like the list goes on and on. And then many times they're diagnosed by either their endocrinologist, a rheumatologist, or an integrated medicine doctor who's been able to do what we call a process of elimination and do every known medical test they can to rule out every possible cause that they know of other than your implants. So by the time they get diagnosed, God knows what they've spent. And so right now what's exciting is the Plastic Surgery Association and the FDA and other you know, stakeholders are trying to work together to create a protocol and a process to treat us, but they're still really not even a way to define the disease or put it in to get it covered by insurance because it still doesn't have its insurance ID code. Right. (laughs) There's a lot to unpack just in that. Um, One of the things that I was interested in when I was um, researching this beforehand was you you were talking about kind of your... The difference between like a um, cosmetic surgeon or a plastic surgeon versus an actual doctor and sort of the attitude behind it that's almost like trying to sell you yep. something. I don't know if you could uh, expound on your thoughts around that. Absolutely. I recently wrote a letter to a major hospital with a recording of a plastic surgeon telling me that I do not have BII, that it could not exist. And when I explained I was diagnosed in his practice by his colleague and treated by him, Then he pivoted and said, oh, I mean, it does exist, but now you're fine because you got new implants. And then I said, no, no, these are recalled and we're not fine. And it ended up being this moment where it was like my rise up. That's where I got really mad. And this was over a year ago and it delayed my healing. And what I found most interesting is instead of him being apologetic or wanting the information or wanting to understand this, it was almost as if he felt he had to protect his practice his business, his colleague. 
and it became very personal. And when I talk to many women, it's and their families, it's that attitude that can be the cliff for many women because we're raised not to question that. You know, do what the doctor tells you. And then also when I really committed to going out and finding another doctor, I met with several people and got the range of, you know, people like him to people offering me other procedures that were fifty to $100,000. And then <laughs> their assistants trying to give me financing options from getting a boyfriend to borrowing against my assets. <laughs> So I, wow. Are you trying to talk you into getting a boyfriend as a financial <laughs> assistant? <laughs> That's interesting. This one girl, don't you have someone who can help you like you don't got no man? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> and you want to invest in this? It's like a car lot, which is like, can, what do I have to do to set you up with a man today? <laughs> Exactly. Well, that sounds a lot like, as we've talked about before on the show, when just women in general are not believed and then therefore they're just dismissed altogether. And I can't imagine what that would look like when it comes to, especially as the stigma with plastic surgery and, and breast implants, like how many battles and uphill like moments were you like, this is enough, I've had enough? Because I couldn't imagine this. Okay, so I live in Los Angeles and I've spent a lot of time in this one hospital and this doctor came in and you know, I'm from New York, right? So I got a, and he's telling me, you just want drugs, it's you're fine. And I'm literally like having seizures and projectile vomiting and I'm clearly not okay. So I looked him up on social media and I was like, you'll never surf again. And I met because I was going to go block him out at Trestles, right? <laughs> <laughs> but they called security. And security uh. came in and I was just crying. And it was interesting because that security guard or the nurses, you know, they really just, they got to know me. They spent a lot of time with you. And another time my daughter, I was again seizing and I would have a weird reaction to other medicine. And I remember waking up and seeing my daughter just in tears, probably around 12 years old, talking to a doctor. And she was winning, which I was impressed, but tragically sad. And I remember thinking at that moment in my head, like, you know what, if I'm just gone, she can go back to being a kid, you know, this, this, and this. And so I think for a lot of us, we have moments where we start to question our worth, our value, and the burden because, you know, it lasts forever. And then you just somehow through like the right support system around me and a great doctor I had for 10 years as a primary, she just didn't quit. And they checked in. And so my friends created a safe space and then we started to make jokes about it. So I have like my brand, Sick Titties, because, you know, it's hard to talk about. And like you said in a podcast I listened to recently, laughing about it because it's so hard became easier. And I made a lot of friends. You know, some of the nurses and doctors that did defend me are, you know, really close friends and resources. And I just kept hearing my mom say, you know, not everybody's, it's the golden rule. You know, treat people how you want to be treated, attack the problem, not the people, and fight. And so I think through meeting other women, I found my fight. That's, yeah. I love seeing other women supporting other women. Um, I do think that's incredibly powerful. One of the things, as you mentioned, like the FDA has only just kind of released something about this. Um, and then on your site, you have a link to to some numbers and, and statistics around all of this. I mean, do you have kind of a 
understanding of how many people are impacted by this? Because you also, there's a lot of misinformation as well, or people who are not getting the diagnosis. Absolutely. And, you know, we talk in the community and activists about there's really three ways to stop this. One is education. And I think through the site and social media, I'm grateful to get messages from girls who and women who really read this in an 18 to 65 can understand the financial, emotional, and physical impact this can have. And frankly, invest their capital in other ways, right? Like they can invest in themselves in such different ways. Or, you know, second is this full disclosure. You know, plastic surgeons being required to identify this disease as a potential outcome for women in education. I can tell you that in the community to destigmatize this, I don't care if you got the implants for breast cancer or you wanted to be Pamela Anderson. The reality is we were not told this information. And I think shame, guilt, and fear has been used a lot to really keep the third thing, which is women get implants every year. You know, it's going to continue to happen. Breast cancer centers offer these implants as a solution. And so what's most important for me and the community is there's millions of people suffering. And never once has someone contacted me and said, it's not me. And, you know, I don't have this. You're crazy. And if they come back to the community, the community doesn't punish them. They welcome them because this isn't, you know, anything other than this perfect storm of manufacturers not being required to tell information, plastic surgeons being courted and sold details in a business that's really profitable, and women wanting to buy into this perception of beauty, unfortunately. And that's changing. And I think through the advocates and the women that share their stories, I joke, that's your full disclosure. Like you Google hashtag BII and start to see thousands, if not now millions of women stepping up and saying this happened to me. It's facts. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things you touched on earlier and you've been very open about that I found very, very upsetting, like there's no insurance code for it, right? And it is extremely costly. Like the whole, all of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Could you go into that a little bit? Yeah, and ironically, I have a certificate in impact finance from Yale. I've managed investment funds. Mm -hmm. And financing this treatment has been the hardest thing in my life. It's nearly bankrupted me. Um, At times, I wasn't sure what to do. And so for the average woman, the diagnostic process can range from 10,000 to hundreds of thousands, depending on the course they take. Because there's MRIs, colonoscopies, etc., And with insurance, recently, I've been invited by a company to join a patient advocacy board and talk about the fact that providing the $14,000 to $34,000 to remove breasts and potentially reconstruct them in a safe way is so much better than keeping someone sick for 10 years. And so when we started to look at the economic impact, also there are insurance companies that will now refund the money. Insurance companies are now taking them out under other codes, so like back pain you know, masses because like people have cysts. So thank God mine was recently covered by insurance. My last procedure cost me $24,628. That is a lot of money. And for women out there, they carry so much shame because they don't want to put their families through that. They don't want to take money out of their kids' tuition and other people finance putting them in. So there are programs where you can go into debt to get boobs, but you can't go into debt to get them out. And I don't think that's right. And we've been searching for a partner to help us fix that. Because economically, and as women, you know, we tend to feel like we want to self-sacrifice. That's what makes us a good mother. 
And the longer we wait to have this procedure, the more damage that happens to your body and you lose valuable healing time. And so from a finance standpoint, insurance companies are motivated now to treat this as more data comes in and we eventually get peer-reviewed studies. But until then, you know, I've seen women do such creative, cool stuff to raise money. I had a Kickstarter once and I went to a meeting and a guy's like, you're here to finance a company, but you're raising money for boobs. (laughs) And I looked at him and I was like, I'm raising money for lots of boobs. But (laughs) (laughs) And so he really kind of judged me. But then I talked to him and later he's like, I'll donate (laughs) because (laughs) it's about education. Nobody really you know, understands this. And like you've talked about a lot on your show is there's certain things that are so hard to talk about. And, you know, I was at parties before the pandemic, obviously, but grabbing, you know, we were touching each other's boobs at parties during the Me Too movement, trying to figure out like, do you have them? Do you have them? And it just became very quickly a conversation that through, you know, social media and such honesty, where now three years later, people are talking about this a lot. And people are curious versus judgmental, which is nice. I mean, I still get those posts where I did this to myself, go away. But I just, you know, we want to educate. We want to empower people. Right. Yeah, and that's so infuriating just to know that it's a blame game when you're absolutely correct. I did not know of these implications. I've heard of one or two cases of uh, things going wrong, but essentially being told it's safe, it's safe. They've gone through years of procedures and they know what they're doing now. These products are FDA approved, literally being told that throughout my life, not that I could afford any of those things, but just as an outsider, that's what I knew of it. And then being stigmatized because your body's like, no, this is not good. They lied to us and they made so much money off of this and now are wanting to save face and not wanting to come back and be like, oh, this is problematic. We need to care for them and take care of that. And I'm wondering in the back of my head of like how many women were misdiagnosed, died and never knew this was the complication because so many other things were being uh, said or told to them and or that shame factor of like, it took so long for people to accept the fact that this is about a woman's self-esteem and and if they want to do it, great. This is not about you. This is her body. But then coming back to be like, yeah, but you lied. The the creators lied or they, they didn't know they were wrong. Now it's time for them to face the facts and needs to be corrected. And instead of having a moment of being supported, being told, well, sorry, you're a woman <laughs> who was vain about this and this is your fault, even though... There's so many out there who absolutely advocate for these things and or get to see the effects. And a lot of times I've seen where women are manipulated into going into these types of surgeries as well. There's so many avenues of why, but yet the women are mainly shamed point blank. And I could not, I I just want to throw something right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and here's the thing on that note, the education, the impulsive, like I got these at 25 years old. What the hell did I know? I was at lunch with a hot model, fresh off a bad divorce with a baby, and I was raised, nobody wants that. So I thought, okay, I'll get boobs. That'll fix everything. I didn't even think about like, they're going to rip my chest off and shove some toxic sacs under my muscle and we're going to hope for the best. She was in Cosmo, this doctor. I trusted her and she didn't know. And so when through the process, you're right. And then the anger, what I found is, The women that are advocating and lobbying for things like the Medical Device Safety Act, the full disclosure laws that are being passed, the FDA actually taking meetings with women to say, okay, you're not hysterical, but there's also a book by a friend of mine who I don't want to cry, but she died. And the book is called, you know, A Mother's Nightmare Dealing with Breast Implant Illness and the Opiate Crisis. 
because a lot of these women fell down the pathological hole of we're going to treat her pain, her symptoms, and then we're going to label her with fibromyalgia, drug-seeking. We're going to make sure that she's a frequent flyer. You know all these terms. And then eventually social work and all these other areas get involved because as a mom, a woman, a sister, a grandmother, you know, all the hats you wear. And I do think it was really important when Sybil Goldrich did what she did. She and another woman did amazing things to really take on Dow to ask these questions. But what happened was there was never follow-up on these peer-reviewed studies. And so the only way to be the change we need to see is to show them the studies. Go look at Instagram. And now I think what's happening is this conversation and women speaking up, I joke, they're all little, you know, we're like Helen Reddy. It's hear me roar. And it's so empowering because they're teachers, real estate agents, nurses, doctors, you know, everyday women and celebrities and thought leaders that are all coming together. And there's no racial, you know, spectrum. It's every type of woman out there. And that's the change. And then also there's plastic surgeons that are now saying, you know, I'm going to lead this change. And those people need to be recognized because imagine what their conferences are like. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I did want to ask the plastic surgeon that you actually got them to change their tune to be like, okay, okay, we we do. Uh, Have they changed their practices at all? As in like informing? So what's interesting is I, the one who wouldn't treat me, I was able to get the CEO of that hospital's email and I sent him the recording. I filed a complaint and I reported my adverse event directly to the FDA. Working with patient affairs within the hospital, I wrote a letter recently that I would you know, pay to take all these surgeons to dinner just to tell them, this is real, meet me, hi, I have this, and here's a thousand other ladies that'd like to talk to you and men. But until then, I think what's going to mandate real change is losing business women, you know, speaking up for each other. And what I requested in my most recent letter was, tell the truth, because you are a teaching hospital. And I think as other surgeons are stepping up, they have whole practices dedicated to this. I've interviewed some incredible doctors on the podcast, and they're putting their foot down, as is the Plastic Surgery Association. They really included BII this year in their conference. And so we're starting to see change. And I think the most common thing with all of us is, see, we're not crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like that's my next t-shirt. One <laughs> <Love> me. <laughs> Just believe us. Thank you. Yeah. And, and know that, you know, hysterical women is no, it's not a thing. Right. <laughs> like we don't wake up in the morning and want to be crazy. Right. You make me yeah. that way. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, there are so many things on there that you just are so infuriating and upsetting and that we have talked about, but yeah, like not believing women, not believing women's pain or dismissing it. It's clear like women are seen as like not a priority. And if it's there, it's a women's issue, then we don't have to deal with it. But we love stories of women supporting women and like finding that community and then being able to make change in that way. Can you talk about the community you found and maybe any like common threads that you've heard or or anything that's really brought you together? Absolutely. I got a message from Maria Dimitro, who is on the podcast and done such incredible work. Um, She's with a company that has a technology solution that will allow us to track our implants or any device I've learned, like my new hips and my, you know, other things. But she sent me a message the day we got the announcement from the FDA. And I know in my head 
There were women in dorm rooms to boardrooms to, you know, their rocking chairs, just taking that deep breath. And she messaged me and, you know, she asked, did you ever think we would be part of something that would change the world? And in knowing her, the years I have, I wrote her back and said, yeah, excuse my French, (laughs) because they're strong, you know, from Eden Sassoon, who has been such a supporter and she comes out of the beauty industry to stand up and say, if, you know, these don't feel good, I don't look good, get them out of you, to, you know, the Reverend Tawana Davis, who we interviewed, who's incredible in what she talked about, to Christine Handy, who's a cancer advocate and a BII survivor and is changing the breast cancer space to educate women. The common thread with each of them is they believe in right. They believe in, you know, fixing this injustice and they are attacking the problem, not the people. And they're coming at this in a way where, you know, Maria calls it a gymnastics team. And, you know, to lobby, to educate, to post, to empower, what I love about this community is it's never one been a competition. It's been, you know, you're good at this, you're good at that. How do we advocate here? How do we find this person? How do we get to that person? And they're determined and they don't quit. And they're, you know, doing this on their dime, which is impressive to me. You know, they're investing in saving other people and making sure that people know that maybe it's your implants, but here's the process you take. And here's someone you can rely on that can give you directions because she's done it. I love it. I love that. So in being a part of this, you know, changing the world and seeing some things slowly change, is there anything else that you all are targeting that we should keep an eye on, um, like legislation-wise or uh, just information-wise? So I've been working, one of the big misnomers in this disease and in the world is, you know, people mistaking sickness with an appearance versus a feeling. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times we hear in the community, I don't care, you know, which of my 19 diseases I have now, you know, the common thing is you don't look sick. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of this is sick and humanizing what women go through and, you know, creating something that I, you know, have a working title on called the Ability Fund. And we need to dis disability and we need to really bring awareness through events, campaigns, social media posts that this is sick. These are the human beings that are suffering. And as you both know, here are the real world problems they face. There's a big misnomer that when we get sick, we just rest. Well, who pays your rent? Who walks your dogs? Who brings you groceries? How do you make money? (laughs) Right? And so the entrepreneurship within the industry of women who've become in the solution space is key, but creating a platform and a place for them to safely share their stories, to protect their identities. And then what I hope happens is that the class of legal action opens up beyond the cancer class, but into women with breast implant illness, and they have the right to sue for the damage that was done to their body by that autoimmune disease. And that's when I will feel that the manufacturers will be held accountable, the doctors will have to acknowledge and treat this, and the last thing is it will stop this gridlock and innovation. Because the women, we deserve to be reconstructed. We deserve to have options, but if you're settling on this as the standard, then we're not going to get there. So my hope is that by getting peer-reviewed studies, providing the FDA with data, and opening up the class, the manufacturers are going to have to say, you know what, we're going to dial this out, bankrupt ourselves, and we're gone. Because that's when things will change. But until then, it's all about education and finding fun ways like you guys do to speak up and speak out and maybe get people's attention in a format they weren't looking for it. So if you come to one of our fashion shows and see all the women are actually just say, you know, in your mind disabled, but they're beautiful, we've made change. 
And mm-hmm. I think, you know, not dismissing women as looking fine when they feel like crap. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, that's such a pressure too, right? Is as women to not like cause problems or rock the boat is you want to present this image of, no, I'm fine. It's fine. <laughs> Even though it's like not fine. <laughs> right. As well as the fact that we talked about the pandemic, like they're not allowed to be sick, as you said, like we have to keep going. We, whether you're being a mother, and so you still have to raise a child. You still have to feed them as well as yourself, as well as take care of the house, well, make sure that bills are paid and you don't have time to pause. And even if you do look okay, why are people judging you saying you're not sick enough? Excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me? Why are you the judge of how sick I am? It's about, and, I, and this is not statistically necessary, but like a lot of women that I know have a pretty high threshold for pain in general and because they have to maintain. Like, it's not because they want to, it's because they have to. Point blank. I'll tell you a secret. (laughs) Right now, I'm sitting on a heating pad. This week, I yesterday, I was told I have a fractured back. Oh, my God. I go to the spine surgeon at one. And in the work I do and on Instagram, sometimes people will post, like, she was just at a podcast, now she's in the hospital. And I'm like, (laughs) welcome to sick. And right. the reality is this sense of, you know, purpose and what you said about pain. We, you know, I joke that we embrace the suck to almost the point of instinction. And I've been reading so much by incredible women that are really looking to eradicate self-sacrifice is this trait of strength. Right. right. So, you know, mm-hmm. the radical awakening and all these great books of, no, if you take care of yourself, you're a strong person. If you treat yourself right. bad, no, that doesn't mean you're, you know, better or stronger or, you know, no. And more yeah. lovable, I think, is the end result. Mm-hmm. And, the la- and then the last thing is this idea of beauty. I've seen it change to such a positive space where you being authentically you is what's beautiful. You know, and especially the men in my life lately have all come to me and been like, I don't like them anyways. I'm like, really? When, why, how'd you post that? Because like, <laughs> I think we, you know, we perceive what men and women think are beautiful versus actually asking people. And instead of buying into this, you know, marketing concept of beauty, you know, really looking at sick as a feeling, health as a form of wealth and self-preservation as something we do because we're loving people to ourselves and not selfish. And you have been practicing art for a while now. How did you get into it? You were saying that you did this as a way of like coping, but how did you get into it? Because I think one of the big things that we talk about is, yes, self-care. What do you do for yourself, especially when you feel like everything is falling apart? How did you get into art? Is that part of that process? Well, I joke with my um, now deceased mom that I was never an artist because I didn't want to starve. And then I became an entrepreneur. So now I'm an artist, so I don't starve. (laughs) 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 Um, And, you know, for art, with me, I was a single mom and early on, you know, being home alone, taking care of my daughter after long days at work, art was a form of therapy. I did it in high school. And then when I started to have epilepsy, um, I started to have these really vivid images and experiences. And it was a nurse in one of the hospitals who encouraged me to paint as a form of therapy. And I started to realize also, like you said, it was something I could control. 
So I didn't have to get 20 people to produce a movie or to finance it. I could buy a canvas, make a place of art, put it on the wall, and it was cool. And it just became, you know, a real passion of mine. And then I started to meet incredible artists like, you know, Shepard Ferry and all these iconic people that were creating pop art that were changing the world. And so I originally used to joke that when I was at a party raising money for a project, I would never introduce myself as an artist. If I introduced myself as an investment banker and I happened to do art, I was cool. But if I was the artist, they couldn't think I could do math. Mm. (laughs) And so that was, you know, the dynamic thing, like they say, left brain, right brain. And it was recently that through needing to finance treatment, a friend of mine said, why don't we drop some of this art and sell it as a way to raise money? And I, you know, thought about it. I was really afraid I sucked. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's so intimidating to me, the art world. And then... I got with the right group of people and now I continue to use it as an outlet to create images of people that inspire me um, that I think, you know, are quote noble. And through researching a lot of the people I paint, I have learned such inspiring things about, you know, the men and women. And I noticed there was a common theme. You know, they were all people who overcame injustice, adversity and stood for something that was really meaningful to them. From, you know, the animal that's a wolf I paint to the owl to, you know... RBG, those are the really important iconic people. And I was lucky. So it's been true therapy, but it was thank God for a nurse who brought me paint into a hospital room. I think I was there for 22 days and I was climbing the walls and she said, let's color. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yay for good nurses. Exactly. I mean, that's, I'm a big proponent of that. You never know what thing, that kind or thing you do that can really impact someone's life. You really don't. Absolutely. And the nurses are the heroes here. You know, that's an important thing to bring up. I know obviously both of your backgrounds and, you know, healthcare is evolving. It's an industry that we don't know what we don't know. And I think what I took away from all of this is that you can't approach anything in life with absolution. There's always going to be unknowns. And as we go forward as women, sharing and being open and being vulnerable versus posing and posturing and hiding things that's being tough. You know, telling people what's really going on, that's hard. It's easy to get on Instagram and pretend like, you know, my three dogs and I are living life. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get on there and be like, um, I just pooped my pants in the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> but people actually like those stories better. So it's a testimony of where we're headed. See, <laughs> yeah. honesty, I think people appreciate. Well, Speaking of, kind of, you do, like we mentioned, you've got a documentary coming out, uh, TV. Like, what what is on the horizon for you? Well, I'm, you know, it's interesting because I made a big change in my company in the last month. And I run Be Noble Media Group. We've done some great projects and we will continue to make some really cool movies, etc. But I had started the website, sicktitties.com, and I started to see that what we really needed were three things. You know, one, a way to connect directly with accredited doctors who were within the protocol that we understand right now to be working, right? Which is an X-Plan, et cetera. Two was a financial services program to allow women to finance and grow their business. And then lastly was a way to host a community that was confidential. Unfortunately, when I opted in to you know, pursue my rights legally, I started to see there were some bad actors that were paid to come after women to disqualify them from the case. So what's really important to know is if you, quote, identify as having BII, not diagnosed, identify. 
So say you post on your Instagram, I think I had BII two years ago, but then you don't think about it again for a year and it comes out now, that data can be presented to disqualify you with certain statutes from pursuing a claim. So I also wanted to save space to connect women and to allow them to do things that would help them help each other. So a store full of great products that these amazing women are creating, you know, health coaches, and this whole industry of BII concierge has emerged. And so I wanted to create some sort of technology and community to connect patients with advocates. And then lastly, lobby and registration, because from a technology standpoint, if we have all these women's stories, it's data, they opt in, we can provide that to the FDA We can provide that to different organizations and allow them to see, wow, this is a quote cluster or a class of women with common themes. And so what we're now doing is expanding the company and then through the movie, through the book and through, you know, any other platform we can get on. We really want to drive people to this community and then also create women-driven products that you can buy to support people in the industry to create that connectivity. And, you know, there's a new... Last thing I'll say is that, you know, I always say this is for my daughter. You know, as a 23-year-old woman, I want her and her friends to know that the best thing they can buy is not boobs. (laughs) So, (laughs) and to create that safe space, I think is really important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's... It's it's one of those things, so many times on this show, we'll talk about something or someone and everything they've done and advocating for themselves and for their community. And it's like so inspiring, but it's also so infuriating because it's like so much work and you're not really getting paid for it. And it's just like right. to to be healthy <laughs> and because right. you were lied to or not given the information. And it's like on you to go to the government and be like, wait, <laughs> right. <laughs> there's a problem here. <laughs> Right. So that younger yeah. people don't do the same thing. Right. right. Well, and it's it's shocking how hard it is to tell people that you've had an injustice in mm-hmm. any capacity, right? It's difficult. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there is a segment of female empowerment and human empowerment where it should be your body, your choice, and it should be an educated decision, not a best guess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the future. And I think just disclosing the cost. Like if someone told me I would have to spend all my money for the rest of my life to maintain these suckers, I would never have done it. Right. 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 I mean, just the fact, we also talk about on our show often that there are things out there that it finally comes to the point that a woman has to say, well, I'll do it myself. I'll create this myself. I'll, I'll do this space myself. And the fact that you're having to do this is both infuriating, really encouraging too, and inspiring at the same time. Um, and to see that as you're talking, obviously things have continued to change as you began this process to today and talking about how you're having to rearrange like, oh, I see a need for this, so I'm having to create this. And it's both encouraging, again, and infuriating, but also knowing that someone is actually fighting and actually working to make sure people know what's happening out there. And the mere fact that you have to raise money and do crafting to be healthy (laughs) makes me have a deep, deep moment of like, okay. Blue Shield is going to have their own Etsy someday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and here's the thing, like, you know, my mom, poverty breeds invention. Like, you know, action is intention. And, you know, the golden rule. And I think, you know, out of this will be burst this, you know, like as you hear, I'm sure right now, the impact world, you know, it's all about impact and sponsoring change. And what I'm excited to report is that as we're approaching corporate partners, for instance, iHeart, 
I literally wrote an email that said, let me do a podcast that will save women's lives. Talk about their tits are killing them. And <laughs> within seven <laughs> minutes, I got a response, right? And to have that merge into the producers hopping on, the marketing team helping us, all the support we've gotten is so validating that, like you were saying, if people want to make a difference and if you can help them help you help us, then it works. But it's definitely this attitude of action and change. And that's one thing about this community. I have yet to meet a woman who, yes, they're mad. Yes, they recognize injustice, but they will not be a victim. And, you know, that is important. And I think, you know, in listening to your podcast, like I listened to the episode about the beer and now I know you need to think about where it comes from, right? <laughs> and and mm-hmm. educating yourself. <laughs> right. So then I wanted a beer for the sick titties because I was like, that's brilliant, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. But, Come back right? for the happy hour. <laughs> exactly. I would and, love this. <laughs> but I didn't like CBD for it. And, you know, and now I'm exploring all these partners. And, you know, I joked with someone last night and I was serious because I came from the cannabis space. And I'm like, we are going to have smoking sick titties if it kills me. <laughs> because also like the alternative medicine side of this and what I've learned and the education and the companies who've stepped up and really wanted to help. So that part of this has definitely been inspiring. And then also I'm 48 and I get to interact with women of all generations. And I see this really great change in, you know, support and advocacy versus competition and, you know, a little bit of cruelty. Yeah. Well, that's that's wonderful to hear. I'm glad. I, I feel like we've kind of experienced that as well in terms of the people who are interacting and sort of the general vibe, as they say, towards issues that we bring. Like, I feel like several years ago, I would have gotten a much angrier response to certain things we've talked about as compared <laughs> to now where people are more like, oh, okay, yeah, we should talk about right. this. <laughs> I did want to ask, do you have any um, resources that you want to shout out for listeners to, to check out? Absolutely. I think it's really important to go to the FDA site and read what they're publishing in real time because that's the truth. One of the important things to know is there are you know definitely hashtags you can follow. There's amazing people on social media, but the FDA is publishing in real time information that's you know pretty compelling. And they also give out data for the recall. Um, there's a great organization that's working hard to create a registry called Track My Solutions. So you can look up and see if your implants are recalled. But the FDA right now is our go-to. And when you research their announcement last week and these hearings that they're holding, the other thing is, you know, share your story. Hashtag at breast implant illness. Hashtag at BII journey. Because you're going to start to follow and connect with other people. And then in most cities right now, there's a plastic surgeon that's registered on the Plastic Surgery Association. Go there and look at accredited doctors and doctors that are part of these panels about breast implant illness, because those are some of the thought leaders that are publishing things. And then also ask other patients, if you're looking for a doctor, get referrals, get reviews, and message people online, because women who like what they've experienced post it. But women who don't like it also post it. And it's important to reach out to them. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Kristen, for being with us today, having this conversation. Come back anytime. We would love to have you. Happy hour. (laughs) When I come to Atlanta, we're going to do some beer and Carrie Fisher. (laughs) Yes. Well, I'm about to have to come buy one of these Michelle Obama mugs for sure. I'm like, oh, that needs to be my collection. (laughs) I I will send you guys some stuff. I mean, thank you so much. And, you know, please continue what you're doing. Like, I listen to the show all the time. And it's so incredible 
I'm learning so much <laughs> in a fun way. <laughs> oh, thank you. And and you as well. You as well. Um, and speaking of, where can the good listeners find you? So I am on Instagram at Kristen underscore E. Nobles. And I'm also at sicktitties.com, which is an ever-growing site. And I'm also on um, Facebook under Kristen Nobles. And we have a Facebook support group that's Be Noble on BII. Yes. and. I always love I have to do this with podcasters sometimes. You also have a podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, I have a podcast. <laughs> Our sister podcast. Come on. You can also find us on Close to the Chest with Kristen and Christine, and that's on iHeart, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yes. yes. <laughs> and definitely go check it out, listeners. Thank you again, Kristen, for being here. If you would like to contact us, you can. Our email is stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Instagram at Stuff I've Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 